Discovery Debrief is proud to announce a partnership with an all-new addition to the Star Trek gaming family. Star Trek Alien Domain Incursion takes you to explore the Gamma Quadrant on the other side of the Bajoran wormhole where you have the chance to join either the Federation or the Indigenous Dominion. It features a multitude of multiplayer modes, allowing you to put your fleet and strategy to the test against other like-minded explorers. Build, research, and fight your way to the top, all in the comfort of your own browser. If you're interested in getting a leg up on what the game has to offer, the Discovery Debrief crew is proud to announce that we're giving out free access keys worth approximately $60 each in in-game items. All you need to do to get one of these keys is to write a review for the show on iTunes or Google Podcasts and send us a screenshot or link to your review either through our Facebook or Twitter pages or by emailing us at hailingfrequencies at discoverydebrief.com. Send us your review and get a key worth $60 in in-game items in Star Trek Alien Domain Incursion. It's that simple. You can find this Star Trek strategy web game at incursion.gamesamba.com. That's incursion.gamesamba.com. Star Trek Alien Domain Incursion is officially licensed by CBS. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Discovery Debrief, a podcast that dives headfirst into the proverbial deep end of the latest trek into the final frontier, Star Trek Discovery. I'm co-host Chris Clow, and I'm joined by our bold panel of Star Trek franchise explorers, including Rachel Clow. Oh, hey, Chris. Hello, Rachel. Zaki Hassan. Howdy. Triumphant Returned. And Cicero Holmes. We do what we do, so you can do what you do. Oh man, there's there a lot to talk about with that. Oh, good choice. Well, this week we're going to be talking about a particularly emotional episode of Star Trek Discovery since it involves one of the most well-fleshed out and emotionally potent relationships that this series has produced thus far, along with a bit of a deeper look into the machinations of Mycelia and some deeper integration of Starfleet's clandestine intelligence organization. Should make for a pretty interesting set of perspectives from this panel. Of course, though, we'll ease into our news and episode discussions by talking about what everyone's been up to since the last time we all got together. Zachy, triumphant return. Welcome back. Thank you. What uh, what have you been up to since the last time uh, you were on the show with us? Well, uh, I, I've been suffering from a bit of an illness, so really I've just been recovering from that and uh, trying to get back into uh, podcast in shape. Sure. Running up and down steps and, you know, uh, <laughs> drinking raw eggs or whatever, whatever one does <laughs> right. to train, hearts, to hearts train for fire. podcasting. Right. Hearts on fire. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Got to use all those podcasting muscles, right? And, you know, exactly. the, the calves and, and flight runs. No, I, I can empathize completely. <laughs> well, we're, we're very glad to have you back. Uh, so thank you for, for joining us once again. Hopefully it's just the beginning of another long stint to come. As Hopefully. we talk Star Trek. Yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> Rachel, what you been up to? Uh, um, uh, uh, <laughs> what have I been up to, Chris? Well, you you have you okay? Look at this point. Oh, wait, we were watching TNG. <laughs> well, I mean, I've given up. I think for now, anyway, on asking what everybody's been up to in terms of Star Trek engagement, as you may have noticed in the framing of the question, because oh, I just assumed that's what you were asking. I, I decided to pivot to more general what you've been up to because not a lot of people have time to absorb. Like I, I think I'm unusual in the sense that I like always tend to go out of my way <laughs> to watch Star Trek because it's the one thing that can pick me up after reading the news for five minutes every day, Ugh. you know? So, so are you asking me just to something I have con- some media I have consumed in the last week? That I have enjoyed. Do whatever you want. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, well, we were watching TNG. We were. With uh, um, the clone of Kayless. Yeah. 
Um, and first appearance, I think, of Boroth. Who? Which one's Boroth? Oh, that's 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 the, the planet. The planet. Yeah, All right, the monastery. Yeah, where uh, Baby Voke, Voke Junior. Yeah, where Baby Voke was dropped yeah, off. How long ago? Off. And so, in the future, uh, Clone Kalos shows up there. Mm-hmm. And you said that people think that is the episode of TNG that was off the rails, but uh, I liked it. So. <laughs> what a surprise, Zachy! I don't know if you heard our last episode, but uh, masks from season seven of TNG came up in the conversation. And uh, who was defending it? Was it defending it? I was just saying it's not that bad. Who's like, defending it? Though? <laughs> <laughs> Even Brent Spiner doesn't defend that episode. <laughs> well, not that bad. <laughs> So Cicero came up with the idea that maybe we should just do like a debriefs. It's not that bad series or not. What did you say? Not so bad. Not so bad. Yeah. Not so that's bad. Actually not a, not a, that's not so bad an idea. <laughs> might have to at some point. Yeah. Although how many of us are going to pick Voyager episodes? That's kind of what uh, I, it's, <laughs> it's gotta be, it's gotta be like our best of. There, yeah. Everyone picks one from one of the different series. Right, yeah. I mean, honestly, there's a lot of TOS episodes I can pick uh, for something like that. Maybe, maybe uh, you know, like uh, hidden gems or something like episodes you wouldn't think of as good ones, and that. Can be ah, well, there you go. Yeah, yeah, I could, I could, I could see that because apparently I have. I mean, I have. A, I've always had a soft spot for. I'm just talking TOS. Taste of Armageddon. Which I guess there are some people who just don't like that episode, but also I have a soft spot for Patterns of Force, which mm. is uh, the one with historian John Gill, who basically creates a new Nazi civilization on another planet. Right. Yeah. And uh, I know that there are some people who just hate that episode, but I actually kind of like the, the the message of it overall and thought it was interestingly executed. But that might be a rare thought. I don't know. Maybe it'd be right, worthy yeah. of discussion. Yeah. But. Cicero, what have you been up to since the last time we got together? Man, uh, I'm glad you have reframed the question. Uh, uh, <laughs> I so I have been catching up with uh, I I've been keeping up with Fake Trek, aka okay. the Orc. Yes, um, it is really, really uh, again has gone from a show that was cringeworthy but had curiosities to a show that I genuinely look forward to, to seeing every week. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think the stories are great. Um, like I, I understand the, the quote unquote rules of that world. And I've really, really started to enjoy that show. So it's, uh, it's really been great. Um, other things that I've been up to, uh, besides stuff in the world of gaming of which recently there's been a lot. Um, I guess DM'd uh, my second episode ever of uh, the Dungeons and Dragons show that I am on, Rivals of Waterdeep, this awesome. past week. Uh, and so that was that was great. Uh, so if you guys want to check that out, you guys can, uh, I guess, go to my feed and uh, the information will be up there. So uh, go ahead and check it out. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, that sounds great. No, definitely have to look into that. I haven't really been up to that much. I mean, um, I played around a Star Trek Bridge Crew the other day because I think I don't th- I don't know. There's just nothing like sitting on the bridge of a starship and unwinding a little bit. And I had uh, Monday off of work, so I spent part of the day doing that. And I was a helmsman on the uh, original Constitution class Enterprise, and I always love sitting in that bridge just because that's my all time favorite bridge ever. So that was a lot of fun. But other than that, something kind of weird happened with my family. I didn't even know that Ellen had a game show, but she does. Oh, yeah. Game it's of called Games. Game, yeah, Game of Games. Yeah. And my aunt was on it yesterday. Get out of We're here. recording this on February 20th. Yeah, she won $75,000. Holy crap. So, that I mean, that didn't happen to me, but it's kind of cool when you yeah. – I saw a clip of it on YouTube when I was in the office today, and it was just like, wow, she, she did pretty well. So I didn't even know that Ellen had a game show until pretty recently. But Amazing. Go, on, go Aunt Pam. Nice job. All right. Well, <laughs> she, she did better than me when I was on a game show, that's for sure. So, Were you on a game show? I was 
on a game show. Which, Which one? I was on a game show called The Weakest Link. I don't know if you guys remember oh that. Show. You were? I was. Yes, I was. I was were on, you on the, the syndicated one. The syndicated one, the thirty-minute uh, one. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. That's um, awesome. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, so yeah, next time uh, we all get together, I'll tell you. I'll I'll spin you a yarn about uh, young young Master Holmes uh, being, <laughs> being one of the weakest links. Uh, spoiler alert: I did not win. I was one of the weakest links. Uh, no. But uh, two iconic things happened. Uh, so the the that the syndicated version of the weakest link, uh, I think the top prize was fifty grand. I think that was about right, and uh, the winner of our show won thirty five. So it was part of the big money week uh, syndicated version that they released uh, when they you know when they released that uh, particular episode. Um, so when it when it aired, but when it was recorded, was the day of the first finale of American Idol. Oh. Uh, oh. And, and so this is like 2002. 2002, exactly right. Um, and um, part of the reason that I know that is because I got to hang out with the winner to celebrate his winnings almost literally across the street from the Kodak Theater while they were recording, uh, while they were filming the finale for American Idol. Um, I watched the entire show uh, season, missed the finale, uh, and didn't even go outside and look and see what was going on because I was too busy getting drunk. <laughs> and I got very, very drunk. Nice. <laughs> oh man, that's that's funny. That's a really interesting story. I man, I had no idea, no idea that you were ever on the weakest link. That's you learn something new every day. There you but, go. Uh, yeah, very true. All right. Well, as usual, before we head into the full episode discussion, let's discuss some Star Trek news. Patrick Stewart recently spoke a bit more about the ways that Jean-Luc Picard will be positioned in his upcoming series and sounds very excited by the possibilities. In an interview with Yahoo, Stewart said of the show, of the show's storytelling aims, what we have coming up is exciting. It's exciting for me because it excites me as an actor. Oh, the story is great, and I could be so careful what I say or they'll skin me alive if I say the wrong things, but it references the present day at times, and that's all I can really say. I'm not saying that we're in the present day, because we're not, but the world that we find Jean-Luc Picard in is not quite the world that we left him in. He also talked about how he'll look younger in the new series than he was made up to look in the flash-forward segments of the TNG finale, All Good Things, said that the writers are basically creating a 10-hour movie with the way the story is going to be told, and reiterated himself that they're hoping to have more than one season. Something else that was also recently brought to my attention, I'm not sure if you guys had seen it, but I know that I sure hadn't, I find it really interesting, Alex Kurtzman said that the destruction of Romulus is going to play a big part in the headspace that Picard will find himself in when we get to see him. And the destruction of Romulus, that was in uh, 2387, depicted in the 2009 movie, one of the few uh, events, and obviously a major one from from the, uh, the first Kelvin timeline movie that actually reverberates into the prime timeline. So it seems like we're learning just a little bit more about what this show is going to be every week. So guys, what do you make of this new information? Because it seems like they're going to be embracing more of the serialized structure of Discovery and admittedly most modern TV. So given what you know, the way the story is being positioned, have your expectations changed or evolved at all from where they were initially? Rachel. I, for one, look forward to seeing Space Trump. <laughs> oh my god. Oh. Or Sprump. Sprump. <laughs> and uh John Luke Picard's gonna yell at him and then he's gonna change his ways. Is that what's gonna happen? No. <laughs> That's not what's gonna happen. I don't know, this all sounds like what I was kind of envisioning, right? Like a ten hour movie. Mm-hmm. Sounds good. Uh said in the future, kind of an allegory. All sounds sounds great. So I'm you know. I'm looking forward to it. What about the angle with Romulus? Um, that sounds fine to me. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting to me that 
Romulus's Romulus's destruction is apparently going to be one of the things that alters his headspace or is is kind of key to to where we pick up with him. Zachy, what do you think about that? Does the destruction of Romulus affecting him a lot make I mean, I guess it doesn't necessarily have to make sense at this stage, but how does it strike you? I mean, I, I you know, we need to know a little bit more what the context is, but I mean, it stands to reason that this is somebody whose career has, was built on diplomacy. Uh, and obviously, you know, the Romulans were this this adversary who he spent so much time trying to uh, make peace with right down to uh, the last time we saw Captain Picard. So, so you know, I mean, I, I think the idea that the Romulan Empire being destroyed, uh, fundamentally changing the the landscape of the Federation, or no, the the, the uh, well, the Federation too, but like, like everything, you know, the the, uh, the, the galaxy, the, yeah, g- galactic politics. Well, yeah, I mean, obviously, Captain Picard's role uh, being what it is, what it was, it stands to reason it would have some impact on him. I I, I mean, I I don't know. I mean, you know what I mean? They're being so vague about it that you say, well, how is that impact manifesting on him? You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's, sure. I mean, it, it gives us a good jump off point. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I can, I can definitely see that. I just kind of wonder if they're going to mention Nemesis at all. Cause that was the last time it was there. Ooh. I'm sure they'll mention it. Maybe we'll, we'll see. Cicero, how does this strike you about the Picard show? Oh, man, I'm just confused. <laughs> so so does that mean that the picard show is going to take place in the kelvin timeline or is it going to be oh in no the, in the prime timeline so it'll, it'll be in in the prime timeline because when romulus was destroyed uh that was what spock was trying to prevent and it was uh it was that event that led to the black hole that he got swallowed up in and deposited in the kelvin timeline for ah i gotcha yeah, I, gotcha. I thought I thought Nero destroyed Romulus, and that created the anachronism. Oh no, no, no! It was um, there was a big uh, supernova, and that's what was threatening to the way that Spock described it envelop the entire galaxy. Right, right. The unthinkable happened. Right, right. Yeah. And and Romulus was a casualty of that. Right. right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. All so right. that's where Nero's bitterness towards Spock came from. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, man. You know, there's so many movies in my head. In oh, my sure. That all the canons, uh, you know, did he like, intertwine? Yeah, yeah. He dipped to the Matrix and see the sun for the first time before he got a bail. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. So uh, look, it doesn't make me any more or less intrigued for this show. Uh, mm-hmm. I just want to see it. Like I just want yeah. it to exist. Um, I want to be able to to see it. And as soon as it is available, I'm gonna watch it. So mm-hmm. you know, I don't care if like honestly, I wouldn't care if they said, "Oh, the show is about John Luke Picard literally trying to herd cats." The second <laughs> it was available. I'm going to watch. Great. Yeah, I'm going to watch that show. So, like, there's there really isn't anything that they could do uh, to temper and or increase my level of excitement and anticipation for the show. Very well said. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Uh, well, uh, let's move on to the next item. Earlier this month, it was revealed at the Television Critics Association winter event that the creative team of Discovery is cutting together the season finale, or at least they were, and that they have a lot of interesting ideas for season three, but are still waiting on the possibility of a pickup. Kurtzman said that they're very proud of the season finale, that Spock's forthcoming entrance will be unexpected, and that other cultures will be seen, but he was also directly asked about Romulans and made no comment, which I thought was kind of interesting. Is there room for the Romulans to appear here? I mean, as it stands right now in canon, the Romulan Empire was defeated summarily in in a humiliating fashion from what was described at the conclusion of the Earth-Romulan War in 2160, a year before the Federation was founded and didn't make their presence in the galaxy felt again until the unnamed Romulan commander, played by Mark Leonard, uh, started attacking ships and bases in Balance of Terror in the original series. That's a century, roughly, of uh, 
complete and total inactivity from one of the major powers of the galaxy, at least the, the way that the Romulans have always been framed. Is it believable that they'd have been in complete and total isolation for a century? Or do you think there's room for discovery to introduce some activity on the part of the Romulan Empire? Zeki, you got to dig into the the canon for this one. What what makes sense to you? I mean, I, I don't think it's that hard to just stick to what's been established, which is that, uh, you know, uh, what we saw in the original series was, in essence, the first time that there was a face-to-face interaction. And so so to me, it's it, like there's so many other parts of the universe you can explore. Uh, why bring in Romulans? You don't need to, you know. Uh, they they so did. They, I mean, yes and no, right? It's like I mean, we we've done Romulans. We've done Romulans a bunch. It's I, I don't I don't think them being part of Discovery will necessarily add anything because mm-hmm. all it's going to do it's going to have to be this Picayune thing that that steps through this minefield of continuity, and it's almost like why 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 do that when you don't have to. Mm-hmm. I can see that. I understand that perspective completely. We'll have to see if uh, Zachy's agony booth is going to open back up if they ever do show up in the show. It'll be more like Zachy's mild annoyance booth. <laughs> Zachy's irritant booth. Yeah, exactly. I'll have to come up with better music for that. How how do I illustrate that audibly? Uh, yeah, rock. <laughs> Well, Cicero, what do you think, man? Romulans. Do you think there's room for Romulans in Discovery, or is this too complicated for the show to reconcile, as Zachy alluded to? Uh, I'm going to make that rash on uh, Zachy's arm uh, a little bit, flare a little bit more by saying, yeah, sure, there's there's room for Romulans on this show. Um, and the reason reason being is twofold. One, because I think that Romulans are uh, part of the low-hanging fruit for uh, Star Trek fans. Um, mm-hmm. If you are, you know, if you're a hardcore Star Trek fan that is watching Discovery, then you don't necessarily need to see the Romulans to kind of continue to cement uh, the fact that that the show exists within this universe, within the Star Trek universe. Um mm-hmm. But for those people that are still kind of on the fence, or, or those people that are are newer to uh, newer to Star Trek, or you know, new to the show, but and are familiar with Star Trek, they may know the Romulans, and and bringing in more f- uh, familiar species helps to um, helps helps the 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 the, uh, the fan the 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 viewer to kind of assimilate to the world to acculturate to to the discovery world. So I think that that is one of the reasons that it, that it kind of makes sense. The other reason that I think it makes sense, and this is, this kind of helps to support uh, point one is that I I have this sinking suspicion and, and we'll kind of probably dive into it, uh, into the show that the, uh, that the discovery going forward uh, will be kind of the liaison between Section thirty one, and the Federation. Oh, okay. Um, that that uh, discovery will kind of cease really being a a ship in the fleet, mm-hmm. as as much as you know, more so that that it it will kind of be a a tool that Section thirty one can use, um, either. In conjunction with uh, onboard Federation types of properties or, or uh, procedures, but uh, but just kind of they're just you know they're just this side of onboard, which means that things that they encounter, uh, experiences that they have, will be kept off the books, will be kept off the records, which means that any mm-hmm. encounters you know any any species that they've run into. Um, may not necessarily actually make it into uh, uh, Starfleet logs. Hmm. It's an, an interesting hypothesis. That's, we'll have to keep an eye out for that. I was having just kind of a fanboy pipe dream the other day that at some point in Discovery, we'll see like a Borg sphere coming towards 
like ridiculously close to earth, like maybe in the soul system or right outside of it. But then all of a sudden the whale probe goes by it and just completely <laughs> destroys it. So nobody finds it. Oh, man. Uh, I would love something like that, even though it would make absolutely no sense. Uh, Rachel, the Romulans, is there room for them to show up in discovery or should they sidestep that completely? Um, I agree with Cicero. I think through section 31, all things are possible. Ooh. Ooh. Um, Bold statement. And also like, just because you don't see the Romulans doesn't mean they're not there. They're always like pulling strings, giving people cloaks. <laughs> I don't know. They're in the background. They're there. I mean, who so knows? Maybe what... we'll see them. Well, well, we're, we're, they're watching. They're a literal <laughs> asteroid away. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are going to get into uh, some some more details from Section Thirty One, but let's actually move on to our episode discussion for Star Trek Discovery Season Two, Episode Five: Saints of Imperfection. Aboard Discovery, Burnham runs through the ship's corridors to the engineering lab to check on Commander Stamets' progress in finding Ensign Tilly, who looks like she was swallowed up by May at the end of the last episode. She returns to the bridge to find that Lieutenant Detmer has located Spock's shuttle. Captain Pike orders it disabled, but when they beam its occupant aboard, they're surprised to find that it's actually Philippa Giorgio, now an operative of the Secret Section 31. Uh, Zachy, since we haven't talked to you in a while, what is your feeling both with this episode and what you know from the previous ones uh, surrounding seeing Mirror Giorgio in this capacity as a Section 31 agent? Because you weren't crazy about the, the exploitations and jaunts to the Mirror universe. Do you think this is a good use of this character in this kind of a position? Uh, I think it's a good use of the actor. <laughs> I think <laughs> You know, I I think it, the the math adds up where you say, well, we've got access to Michelle Yeoh. Uh, let's give her kind of a meal and take mm-hmm. advantage of the fact that she is one of the most recognizable actors on the planet. Uh, I get why they're using her. I, I don't I don't mind uh, Giorgio being a, being a presence, partially because I I see what they're doing. You know, mm-hmm. uh, so I'm willing to see what happens as the thread plays out. You know, I I'd, I'd rather she not turn out to be sort of a uh, you know, kind of a mustache twirling, like so, so she's got something planned, you know, plots within plots. And it sure seems like this episode is taking us down that path. Uh, but, you know, I'm, I'm willing to, to kind of see what, what the long game is with the character. Yeah, sure. Well, and we'll, we'll get into section 31 more as the discussion progresses, particularly at the end of it. But given that we know a whole series is going to feature Giorgio and the organization and potentially Leland and maybe even Tyler, do you think these stories are being positioned in an interesting way, Rachel, with the fact that we saw more Section 31 stuff? Do you like how that potential series could be turning up? I don't know what kind of series it's going to be. I mean, I, yeah, all of those characters are interesting and the ship is interesting. Mm-hmm. But, like, I is it going to be, like, a serialized 10-hour movie? Is it some sort of procedural type thing? I, It's hard for me to envision it clearly enough to know whether or not I would like it or not. Sure. There are a lot of different options that they could yes. explore. Yeah. Um, but there seems to be sort of a strong characterization there that could build something interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cicero, how do you think Section 31 is shaping up considering what we saw in this episode? Uh, It's shaping up to be a clandestine organization within the United Federation of Planets. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, that's all we know. I mean, they are clearly setting us up with uh, they are going to give us enough time with those characters so that when they finally do start this Section 31 uh series we're very familiar we're acutely familiar with the characters the the cast of characters that are that are going to be the principals on on that show uh Mm -hmm. so we can hit the ground running uh clearly that's what that's what they're doing because you know when we get to the end of this episode it's going to be clear that uh we're going to uh be 
uh, involved with Section 31 for at least an episode or two within mm-hmm. Discovery. Um, they're going to be intimately involved in the, uh, pardon the pun, search for Spock. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but, but, so that part, uh, I'm cool with. Uh, I've got to disagree with Zachy just a little bit um, because you didn't like mustache twirly Giorgio. I don't think that it's mustache twirly for the sake of being like nefarious, that she's got some kind of nefarious master plan uh, hmm. that that she's trying to enact. I think that this is just who Giorgio is. Like she, sure. she is just, uh, you know, she's just kind of that side of evil. Like, you know, well, yeah. we're, we're going to, there's something that we're going to bring up more specifically about Giorgio in section 31 later in the discussion sure. that, that I'll definitely want to ask you guys. But, uh, Zachy, let me take the, the question in a little bit of a different direction for you. Uh, obviously you're a big deep space nine fan. And as the Dominion War raged on, Section 31 became a pretty notable presence in, uh, in those late, latter seasons of DS9. Uh, d- because of the strength of the Section 31 concept from those episodes and the way that it's kind of morphed into uh, what we're seeing in Discovery, would Zaki, who watched DS9 on a regular basis, have bought in to the idea of section 31 getting its own show. Hmm, that's interesting. Uh, I mean, I don't see why not. You know, I, I think that I think there there's at the, at the core of section 31 is the tension uh, that this concept can uh, or does exist within uh, the, the broader Star Trek universe, which is antithetical to the notion of section 31. Right. So that, that inherent tension, uh, to me, that makes me interested. Sure. Right. Uh, you know, and, and I think the idea that, you know, sometimes there's like dirty business that has to happen behind the scenes to sort of keep, you know, quote unquote paradise working. Well, that's interesting from a dramatic perspective. So you can definitely see why they want to make this show because it, it is exactly the kind of thing that, Gene Roddenberry would have pushed back against. Sure. Yeah. Most definitely. Right. right. So I, I think the, 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 the trick is to me, like the, the question I have, and, and, and this, this isn't so much a critique, but a question is if you, you're putting Giorgio at the center of that, how do you, how do you reconcile that with the broader idea that section 31 is, is for the greater good? Mm hmm. Right, and and that's that's the tension again. I, I, I mean, that, they're going to have to figure that out. They're going to have to navigate that. To me, uh, what 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 would be interesting is you have somebody who is idealistic and sort of believes in what the Federation represents, and then they come, they are, uh, you know, re- recruited into Section Thirty One, and now they're realizing sometimes having to get your hands dirty. Like that's you know that tension would be interesting. Mm-hmm. Not but too dissimilar from what Bashir experienced. Yeah, sure. Or, you know, uh, and, and this is not Section 31, but like uh, in the pale moonlight, you know, Cisco's journey in that. Episode. Oh, sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Like like that, that tension is interesting to me. And that's where my question is, well, what what are you going to do with Giorgio? Because she is, she's mirror Giorgio. I mean, you know, she's pretty cut and dry, right? So I don't know. That, that's the question. And, and, and I say this only as I'm wondering what they'll do, not, oh, it's going to suck, whatever they do. Right. Yeah. No, I think that's, that's, I think that's clearly understood. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I certainly feel pretty interested in the idea of positioning section 31 this way, but uh, there's a pretty key component of section 31 that I want to get into a little bit later. So I'm going to move along with the plot. Uh, Pike learns from Giorgio that not only is she in section 31, but that she's been tasked with bringing in Spock because of the murder charges levied against him at Starbase 5, which doesn't please the captain at all. When escorting Giorgio to his ready room, Pike finds a hologram of Leland, the S-31 operative we've seen before, with whom he has some kind of unspecified history. 
Leland advises Giorgio be allowed to return to her commandeered shuttle, suggesting that he and Burnham's involvement in a case dealing with Spock would be compromised by their individual relationships with him. Meanwhile, Stamets finds that Tilly has actually been transported into the mycelial network, and we see the ensign awaken inside of it. There, the human embodiment of May tells Tilly that unless she helps them kill a monster, all the inhabitants of the network will die. Uh, the network has been sort of this persisting locale that has this kind of mystery that's surrounding it, but it never, at least for me, never really solidifies into something that is beyond just a plot device. Given the way that the mycelial network has been illustrated over the last couple of episodes, uh, do you think that Discovery has reached sort of the end of exploring this locale as a concept, or do you think there could be more gas in the tank? Cicero, what do you think about just the way that the network has been shown and illustrated and, and used over the course of these stories? Um, there is definitely more gas in the tank. As I said last week, um, this this is the conceit as you know, a plot device as you as you uh, put it. Uh, this is a conceit that kind of, at least from my eyes, is is a center is you know is at the core of what Discovery is. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Discovery is a show about Michael Burnham and this crew and uh, this this alien who may become the first alien captain in Starfleet history. Um, but it's also about this ship that can jump wherever it wants using this mm-hmm. network uh and it it stops being that if it if you remove the mycelial network out of it and obviously um we've got we've got someone we've got now a character that exists within the mycelial network in may who mm-hmm. we're not you know is not going to disappear i mean there is no reason for us to believe at least in my eyes that uh she's going to go away Okay. Interesting. Rachel, what do you think of the way that the network is sort of illustrated in these episodes? I think it's interesting. It's like a physical place, but it's not really a physical place. Yeah. Um, I try not to think about it too much because it seems unrealistic to me if I think about it too much. So (laughs) I just kind of accept what is presented to me in order to enjoy it. Um, I definitely don't think we're done with it because I think Tilly wants to reconnect with May and that's probably going to be a part of her character arc moving forward. Mm-hmm. So, no, I do not think we are finished with, with the mycelial network. Okay. Zaki, is this an interesting enough place to hold your attention in future stories? What do you think? I think, I mean, it's it's a it's a tool that they have in their tool chest. So I like the idea that it's available as a, as a, uh, you know, a, a deus ex machina that, that they can, they can go back to if they need to, I, I don't need to be there every week. Right. Uh, it's there, you know, I think what, like what, like Cicero said, I mean, this is part, it's part of the vernacular of this show. So it, uh, uh, I, I certainly like that it adds something new and different to the Star Trek universe. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, well said. I don't really have anything else to add. I just, I don't know. I haven't encountered a story yet in this show with this sort of embodiment of the network that really drives home uh, its total and unique value to the show, except for maybe what we're about to talk about. But it's not really because of the network as much as it is about a character. So let's move along a little bit. Pike later reveals to Burnham that a new Section 31 liaison has arrived aboard Discovery, and it's none other than former Lieutenant Ash Tyler, whom Pike believes still to be Voke. Pike also says that he notices the rather hostile reaction that Burnham had to the arrival of Giorgio, and we'll discuss it with her later. Tyler and Burnham speak while being monitored by Discovery's new security chief, Nan, who initially accompanied Pike from the Enterprise. Tyler says he can't discuss how he came to work for Section 31, but tries to reassure Burnham that he'll make sure Spock doesn't come to any harm. Inside the network, Tilly and May come to form or, bleh, Tilly and May come to a form of mutual respect, 
Stamets then hypothesizes a way to go inside the network and retrieve Tilly, which will involve a half jump, keeping part of Discovery both inside and outside the network. Tilly and Burnham venture inside to track Tilly's human life sign to a weapons locker, where everybody finally connects. And as the whole group of Tilly, May, Stamets, and Burnham search for the monster that's terrorizing the mycelial network, they discover that it's none other than Dr. Hugh Culber. So the doctor is in. <laughs> yeah. Oh, but, you're going to make it such a great dad. <laughs> uh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> well, I mean, I think that we all pretty much knew that Colbert was going to be back. Um, but what did you guys make of the revelation in the moment? Because unfortunately, I got spoiled. Rachel seemed surprised when we watched it. Uh, did you guys know that the episode was going to go this way before now? And what do you make of the way that they're actually bringing Colbert back into the fold, Rachel? Oh, well, when I heard the the quote unquote monster screaming, I thought it was uh, I thought it was Lorca. Because right. <laughs> <laughs> you say monster, and I was just like, you oh, just autom- oh, Lorca. Lorca. Yeah. It's, no, it's Scruffy Colbert. Um, <laughs> Uh, I was definitely surprised, uh, pleasantly surprised. I was very happy mm-hmm. that he was back. Um, and, um, I like the reveal. I like the sort of sound design from kind of like rural monster noises to hearing a human overtone there and, mm-hmm. and being like, Oh, <laughs> there he is. There he is. Yeah. yeah. So you, you, you went along with it. Uh, yeah, I, I did. Um, yeah, I, it's no, there was nothing there that made, made me have to suspend my disbelief any more than it was already in the, <laughs> right. suspended. Oh, yeah, I got right? it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm maxed out on that. So. <laughs> uh, Zachy, I know that, um, you felt pretty strongly, even, right after Tyler broke his neck that we hadn't seen the last of him. Uh, when you watched this episode and you saw that this was him, were you pretty sure that this was going to be the moment that he was fully brought back into the fold? What was this journey like for you upon this revelation? Uh, I would say I was surprised and not surprised. You know, like I, sure. like, I, think, I think to some extent we all knew – that Hugh's story wasn't over. And I, I was fairly certain that he was going to be coming back at some point. Uh, I did not, like the episode drew me in enough where I didn't see him coming in this one. And that's a, that's a good thing. It was a nice surprise. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, th- I think it did a good job of make of earning, you know, the moment when he comes back. I mean, I, it's a genuinely uh, emotional uh, uh, reunion. And also like the way they, explained it like hung together pretty well where it didn't feel like they were just sort of ignoring death you know yeah sure true it, it seemed you know, like it was possibly kind of traumatic seeing all of this stuff play out yeah exactly you know so, so it's it's nice to see him back and and uh, i think i think he he adds a, a great uh, a, you know perspective on the show so mm-hmm. I'm, I'm glad we got there finally it took a while yeah yeah no no kidding but well said. Uh, Cicero, what was your journey like when it, when the episode hit this moment? And what do you think Colbert's place on the show is going to be going forward? Well, uh, so I guess I can't say all of that. I can't say any of that without first uh, putting a qualifier in and saying, much like Rachel, um, I felt like this was the first episode. And I know Rachel's had this complaint before, um, but I'm not a, a doctoral student. Uh, a, a true scientist, um, but but I just really felt like this was the most TV sciency of all of the episodes that uh, that I that I've watched of this series, at least in my opinion. Where I just felt like, eh, you know, they were saying things, and I was like, mm-hmm. that just doesn't sound right. Um, <laughs> And and but I'm like, okay, you know, you want me to believe that. Let me just keep going and and not well actually, you guys, about uh the science stuff, which which I felt like for a show that does so much right, 
that was a thing that I was like, oh, you know, you guys may, you know, maybe they're right. Maybe the science is right. And I'm, you know, and I'm just too ignorant to know that the science is right. But it just didn't sound all the way there, um, mm-hmm. at, le- at least from from first first blush. But uh, having said all of that, I am so excited that Wilson Cruz is back, that Hugh Colbert is back, um, that this relationship is is back. Um, mm-hmm. it, 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 it's, I mean, uh, besides the obvious stuff, um, you know, uh, about its cultural significance, um, but but the fact that it was just, it's the most genuine relationship uh, in terms of like actual actualized real lives relationships that I think I've ever seen from a romantic standpoint that I've ever seen on Star Trek mm-hmm. uh, across across the entire franchise the um and and you know the only thing that I think comes close to this is uh Jake Cisco and, and you know the Cisco's relationship sure you know yeah as, as which was very different right 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 exactly as a father and son um, you know, very different, but just in, you know, to say that a season and basically an episode uh, and not even a full season, but for for them to to make me feel that uh, uh, strongly about their relationship says a lot about the actors um, that are portraying them, says a lot about the writing, says a lot about how they shot those things and 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 made that stuff happen. Uh, and so while it was happening, I was genuinely surprised. I was uh, and like Zachy was surprised, but not you know because I you know I expected mm-hmm. him to be back. But uh, you know, man, I was I was along long in that ride, and it actually, to be honest, this made me feel I was more worried about the fate of Hugh Colbert during the course of this episode than I was last week with the fate of Saru. Interesting. Yeah. Um, and you know, just simply because I felt like it was more plausible that Colbert would be like, we would, we, uh, there wouldn't be a positive outcome. Right. Colbert, yeah. Uh, I understand. Saru. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I totally agree with you. I mean, you know, romance is not something that Star Trek is really emphasized to overridingly successful degrees. Right. I mean, there are romances that come to mind as highlights across the entire history of the franchise. Sure. Uh, Kirk and Edith Keeler, Riker and Troy, right. Troy and Worf. Uh, at least for me, <laughs> but uh, that's barely in a show at all. Yeah, it's fair. I know, I know. Trip, 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 trip. I didn't even know it existed until you right. pointed it out. Right, uh, Cisco and Cassidy. Right, I think yeah. that that one counts. But but none of those romances feel like they hit the the palpability of this one. Like right. there's just so much emotional weight behind the. And, you know, I think part of it is because the stories of Stamets and Colbert, you know, they come from such different places, but they still manage to to find each other through impossible odds, different interests. It doesn't seem like these are two people that would get together, but because they do, they still forge that really powerful connection. And yeah, I was totally taken along for the well, ride. To me, I mean, you just you just rattled off a, a list of uh, relationships that we've seen in this franchise over, you know, decades. Um, mm-hmm. To me, and, you know, and we don't forget Tripp and T'Pol. Uh, that you know, that's another another one. That, Legendary. Yes, yes right. that did happen. I mean, it, it happened. You know, I mean, and they had a kid. You know, like right. Yeah. So, like, but this is the first relationship where I feel like the characters actually love each other. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. Like, like, uh, there's a scene in this episode where. Hugh is hiding behind, you know, they're in someone's quarters and they're, he's hiding behind the table and Stamets is talking to them, talking to him about a date that they went on to the opera that he hated. And mm-hmm. and they, you know, there was a real sense of like, I felt the nostalgia. I felt the love. I felt the, the sense of urgency and the fear of loss 
in that conversation and in the way it was emoted and and, and i just don't i like i've never really felt that um across yeah. across any of the other series and any of the other relationships that we've seen most definitely no, i agree nothing to add all right, let's move along with the plot. So May, upon the, the group coming upon Dr. Culber, May screams for the group to kill it, which startles Culber and causes him to run away. Stamets chases after him, and Bur- Burnham discovers that Culber has been using a kind of bark as armor against the mycelium, or at least to try and protect himself from the corrosive behavior of the mycelium. This proves to Burnham that Culber is still miraculously alive. On the bridge of discovery, the mycelium of the, for the network begin more aggressively eating into the hull. Pike calls for a red alert. The ship is in trouble, which prompts Tyler to tap his Section 31 badge, a 23rd century comm badge, and Leland uncloaks his advanced Section 31 starship to assist discovery with tractor beams and grapplers in tandem, along with probes that looked kind of... I didn't know what the hell they were. Uh... Inside the network, Stamets has to convince Colbert that he's real and slowly begins to help the doctor realize that he is who he says he is. Stamets theorizes that while he was still halfway in the network during the trip to the Mirror Universe, his contact with Colbert reconstituted the doctor's consciousness inside the network, uh, stranding him there. So the whole group gets a move on and attempts to cross back over into normal space from the network before discovering that Colbert can't go with them. And uh, holy hell, that was quite a quite an emotional bit for me. Uh, for for a second, they totally got me with that fake out. Um, did you guys get sucked in at the maybe he'll be stranded there hook, or were you convinced that they'd find a way to bring him back in? You guys have kind of alluded to this, like you thought maybe it was more plausible for Wilson Cruz uh, to be not included as much as someone like Saru. But Rachel, in the moment. When you were watching this, did it get you at all? I don't remember. I guess not. So probably <laughs> not. I was mostly, yeah, I think I remember thinking about, well, how are they going to get him through? Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. <laughs> at that point, I guess I had mentally committed to, to, to being back coming on back. the show. Yeah. Cicero, was it uh, the idea that... Um, that Wilson Cruz was not as prominent a member of the cast. Like was that external reality sort of making you think that, Oh, maybe they're not going to bring him back through or was yeah, it something yeah. with the story? Uh, no, I, I think it was subconsciously. Yeah. That was, that was probably what was driving it. And I think, yeah, I mean, it, the, the fact is he's not a, you know, he's not a cast re- regular and that it would uh, again. Um, I think that there is a very kind of, uh, Shakespearean quality to this show, and in so much that many of the characters have very, very tragic backstories, um, right. and and that it would serve to to continue Stamets's tragic backstory that he loses the love of his life yet again, and that we get to watch him lose him again, uh, mm-hmm. and and so like. All of those things were like swirling together. Right, right, exactly, in in those moments. So I, I definitely thought it was plausible. I, I mean, I do remember when he put his hand, his arm through the mycelium, uh, through the barrier, and and his, you know, his arm disappearing, me verbally saying, oh, no. So, yeah, yeah so, I mean, it, it got me. I believed it. Mm-hmm, yeah. Zachy, how about you? Was um, I know that you were kind of committed to the idea that he was going to be back at some point. Did this maybe indicate that they could possibly delay it, or did you think that this was just a problem for them to overcome in this episode? I did wonder if that was, you know, if they were doing a, you know, you know, sort of like uh, Orpheus and Eurydice, like they they mm-hmm. are reunited, but at the last minute, you know, he's pulled back in, and now this is a thing. Like I thought, oh, maybe they'll just play this thread out a little bit longer. I mean, I'm glad that they resolved it, mm-hmm. uh, but. Yeah, you know, I, I could have seen it easily being, you know, another uh, subplot. I'm I'm glad that, that that they did resolve it because you know the the Spock thing is like right. that's sort of becoming this can that they keep kicking down the curb. So I'd rather just have that with one character than with several. You know, <laughs> yeah. Were did were you uh, 
keyed into the emotion of the moment pretty well, or were you just kind of thinking of the mechanics of it? No, both. You know, I mean, I, I think I think they really made it work well. I, th- I thought it was very effective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I tend to agree. I mean, I was uh, I was totally on the hook for it. I really, really wasn't sure if this was something that was going to be fully developed because Wilson Cruz appeared in the. I think he was in the opening credits for the season premiere for that brief appearance in the video diary. But I actually I didn't even. I guess I wasn't paying attention to see if his name was in the credits at the beginning of this episode. But, right. I mean, it totally got me. But uh, let's move along to the final point of the plot and the last major question of the discussion. After saying some painful goodbyes, Tilly and Burnham realized that the, co- co- blah, the cocoon on the floor of the engineering lab is comprised of normal matter and that it could act as a doorway of sorts for Colbert to be reconstituted in, in our own reality. The group moves into normal space and the cocoon disintegrates with Colbert effectively reborn and alive back in the normal reality. Later, Captain Pike transports aboard the Section 31 starship to find none other than Admiral Katrina Cornwell on board. She explains to Pike and Leland that one of the seven red bursts left a tachyon trail, which suggests that some sort of time travel is at play in all of this. Leland and Pike apparently bury the hatchet at the Admiral's insistence, and Tyler is assigned to Discovery indefinitely for the time being. Burnham receives a message from Giorgio, who demands thanks and implies the superiority of Mirror Burnham, and suggests that she needs to find Spock before vigilantes do. Giorgio asks Burnham to trust her, but Burnham remains skeptical. Really, who can blame her? Culber is being scanned and seems to be in good health. Pike looks at pictures of the Red Angel. Tilly dries her hair as Burnham enters their quarters and they share a nice moment together. But as Burnham returns to the bridge, she muses on the universality of, of the choice of paths we all must make. And she looks at Tyler and then to the middle distance. But now, the last question of the night. I have to get into it. Been talking about Section 31, so let's do it. Continuity time. Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so, section 31, the thing that I wanted to get to this entire discussion is that it is, a, is apparently officially sanctioned by Starfleet, either command or intelligence or both. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but by the time we meet back up with Section 31 in the late 24th century during the Dominion War, they may have operatives in the hierarchy of Starfleet Command, but it doesn't seem like they are ever actually endorsed by the organization. Uh, uh, like uh, The thing that immediately comes to mind, the episode Inter Arna, Inter Arma Enum Sealant Legis during the Dominion War when Bashir and Admiral Ross traveled to Romulus aboard the starship Bellerophon, Dr. Bashir had to nail Admiral Ross to the wall to finally get him to admit that he may have been working with Section 31 in that awesome episode. I love that episode. But now, in Discovery, we have an Admiral aboard a Section 31 starship telling one of the best captains who ever lived and a major Section 31 operative to play nice with each other. Giorgio is actively working to advance the interests of the Federation, both by ensuring Discovery safety in this episode, and in a previous episode by pulling off sensitive missions on Kronos. Section 31 has cloaking technology and comm badges. The show is covering a lot of new ground for Section 31, so what do you guys make of this? Will they or have they always been officially sanctioned by some aspect of the Federation? How are all of these things coming together for you, considering everything that we know about Section 31? And also, Admiral Cornwell mentioned Article 14 of the Starfleet Charter, which an enterprise had the Section 31 where the organization took their name. But I thought that was the United Earth Starfleet Charter and not the Federation Star... Never mind. (laughs) Uh, Zachy, what do you think of all of this stuff as it, uh, as it co as I try to bring it into some kind of coherent question? Uh, how does this strike you? 
Well, I mean, I, I think to some extent, I'm, I'm just willing to wait and see where they're taking us. I mean, I, I, Alex Kurtzman gave some interview, I can't remember where, but he, he, he addressed this specifically where he's like, we know that by the time we get to Deep Space Nine, Section 31 is this, you know, spoken of in hushed tones and, you know, it's, a, it's an urban legend like Batman, you know? And so his, his whole thing is like, let's see how we got there. Okay. And so that's, that's, I'm like, yeah, okay. So clearly they know what they're doing. They know the continuity enough where they know where things have to end up. So oh, then I'm like, okay, well, I, I'm not something. I'm, I'm certainly not contending that they don't know it. What I'm trying to, I guess, get to is, did I miss something in deep space nine that hinted at some more, more solid uh, endorsement by the hierarchy of the Federation Starfleet that I missed or is this something that we are going to work up to? Well, so so my my guess would be that something happens involving Section Thirty One uh, between now and then that forces the the organization to be disavowed. Okay. While at the same time they're kind of like uh, they just recede into the background rather than being disbanded. They became the Men in Black of the Federation, effectively. Sure. Right. Yeah. So so okay, I'm I'm. I'm curious, you know, I mean, maybe, maybe the way they pull that off will suck. I don't know, but I mean, I'm curious to see what they have planned, you know? Yeah. I mean, maybe, maybe that's what, maybe that's what the show is going to be about. It, maybe it could be. I mean, and I'm certainly not trying to throw shade or anything of the sort. I'm just trying to wrap my head around the chronology, I guess, in a way that, that makes sense. But yeah, I mean, if, if we yeah. are apparently going to see the story of section 31's eventual disavowal, then that could be yeah. interesting. Rachel, you liked the, you you like the Section Thirty One stuff in Deep Space Nine, quite a bit, didn't yes, you? Yes, you did, Chris. Yeah, you you were a fan of Sloan, <laughs> even if he was a complicated man, right? Yeah, sure. Yeah, I don't know what you're referring to with that song. So, Shaft, you damn right. Oh, <laughs> thank you. Sorry, I've never watched that program. <laughs> we're we're gonna go see the new movie. That's oh, what we're <laughs> but. Uh, I, how is this stuff shaping up? Did you have the same questions that I did, or? Uh, yeah, mostly. Okay. I was like, uh, why do they have technology that's two hundred years in the future? Oh, by the way, which doesn't make any sense. Well, but I saw. Did you guys see all the stupid think pieces that the internet puked out about <laughs> the combat showing up and how this was like, ooh. Check out the really interesting Easter egg that Discovery put in for the next generation at this link. And it's like, you sons of bitches. Well, so I, I did not see those, um, but that was only because I, I actually saw one of those articles, but I hadn't watched the episode yet. So I didn't oh, okay. click on it. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm kind of glad that I did. Yeah, it's just that content got up. It's not going to produce itself, Chris. Gra- I saw an article from like one of the really bad, like comicbook.com or something that was just like fan art. Like they said, check out this fan art of Henry Cavill in the DC Superman Rebirth costume. And it's like, holy shit, are you people really scraping that kind of a barrel to post something? That's ridiculous. <laughs> the question is, did you click on it? On- yeah. I didn't click on it. Hell no. Uh, but somebody did, and that made it sort of the <sighs> disintegration of uh, online media. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. It's really taken a nosedive in the last six months. No I'm kidding. kidding. <laughs> uh, well, anyway, section thirty-one. Uh, so it sounds good to you. Um. Yeah, I would point out that there. Uh, it's entirely possible that the United Earth. Starfleet Charter and the uh, Federation Starfleet Charter are quite similar documents, um, much like the Virginia Constitution and Bill of Rights are is quite, quite similar yes. to uh, the United States Constitution. That's a really effective um, way of putting it. So I wouldn't worry too much All about, right. <laughs> about that. that. That's That's plausible <laughs> enough for me. Uh, Cicero, what do you think about all this stuff with Section 31? When was the last time you watched those DS9 episodes with them? Man, it's it's been a while. Like I said, uh, this this year is supposed to be my year that I do my rewatch of DS9. 
so that mm-hmm. I can uh, refamiliarize myself with with those particular episodes. Um, Ooh, tell us but, when you start. Tell us when you start because we'll that's going to be fun. We'll do. Um, and uh, you know, I mean the the fun th- the fun part is that I of course watch Enterprise, so um, kind of the the formation of Section Thirty One. I got to you know I kind of got to see its genesis basically. Yeah, uh, and uh, which, and they handled that really nicely. I thought, which uh, which again only goes to further Rachel's point that she made about mm-hmm. uh, the the you know the articles of the Federation and the articles of uh, the Earth Earth uh, uh, you know the the, the Starfleets yeah, yeah. yeah the Starfleets Charter uh, are, are mm-hmm. similar. Um, so as, as far as Section Thirty One uh, within within the confines of of discovery and and of course uh, pedantic kind of continuity time i will point you to a little show on a a, a fledgling network named abc called uh marvel's agents of shield um where uh they had a there was a an organization called shield uh and spoilers for agents of shield guys uh for like the first four seasons or whatever um, but, uh, they had, the agency was, was there. And then because of Captain America, winter soldier, the agency was disavowed and then became a, a black ops, uh, agency for the U S government. That was, That's true. It was publicly disavowed and, and, you know, they just worked on behind the scenes for the government. Uh, and, and as far as most of the government knew. They were they were disavowed and public enemies, uh, so uh, and and they they I mean that was it you know it was obviously incongruent with the truth, but it was congruent with uh, the powers that be, and it made the most sense for uh, the the uh, agents of Shield, the agents to continue to do all the work that they the clandestine work that they need to do, uh, and it worked for the government because you know stuff got done. And I think uh, I think the writers, you know, they live in the 21st century. So uh, even though they're talking about the 22nd century, which is in the past, or the 23rd century, which is in the past, but it's uh, but it's in in the future. Uh, yeah. So like, <laughs> so uh, you know, they they watched Agents of Shield and said, "Hey, that I think that can work for us <laughs> with with." Uh, with our section, with with our version of Section Thirty One, and with our section of Section Thirty One show, uh, I mean, because that's basically what we're going to wind up seeing. Um, we we may not we may not live, or the show may not live long enough for us to actually see the event um, that makes it happen. But uh, mm-hmm. at least I think the show will put us on that road where we can we can realize that that's a thing that happens. Very well said. Well, I don't think there's anything else to add to that, but a nice cap to pedantic continuity time. We'll see how closely it follows Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. in the weeks and months to come. But as for right now, that's going to do it for episode 36 of Discovery Debrief. We hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, please like and follow us on our social media channels. And if you'd be so kind, we'd also appreciate it if you were to review for the show on iTunes or Facebook. It only takes a minute and we'll be happy to read your review on the air when it's posted. If you have any questions, you can follow the show on Twitter at DSC Debrief, where you can also find all of our individual Twitter handles. And feel free to send us questions through Twitter, our Facebook like page, or by emailing us at hailingfrequencies at discoverydebrief.com. Please be sure to set your courses for this feed for future episodes, and be sure to join us as we convene next time to discuss a brand new episode of our subject series as we continue into season two. We're going to see the bowel next time oh boy baul baul sorry all right well (laughs) as always though until we meet again please go boldly my friends 